0: Well, welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series called Parsha Seasonings, where I bring out some details from the Hebrew Torah scroll or from the Hebrew language itself. And this week we find ourselves in Torah portion Vayetze, which covers the, uh, the passages from Genesis 28.10 through 32.3. Now, something that's unusual about this particular Torah portion is that it is one long, unbroken paragraph. One paragraph, several chapters long. Uh, What does this mean? Because I know in your Bibles it's made up of various paragraphs. But in the Torah scroll, believe it or not, a Torah scroll is actually written in paragraphs. And two kinds of paragraphs, in fact. For example, if you look at the image, this is a portion of a traditional Torah scroll, and they're all done the same way, with the same breaks. And this is from the first chapter of Leviticus. But as you can see here, and recall that Hebrew reads from right to left, so you go from right to left, right to left, and then you come to here, and then there's a gap. And this gap is traditionally about nine letters in width. This means here we have come to the end of a paragraph. Nine letter spaces are skipped and then the paragraph, a new paragraph begins and goes on down. But when we get down to here, the paragraph ends. But this time, instead of skipping nine letter spaces, the next paragraph begins on the next line right here. So what is going on with this? Well, first of all, this paragraph close here is called a closed paragraph, closed. This one is called open. And forgive my sloppy printing, but there are two types of paragraphs. There are the closed and the open. You can think of a closed paragraph as a minor paragraph break and an open as a major paragraph break. Uh, Don't you wish they mark these in our English translations? But unfortunately, they don't. So there has to be significance to the fact that the Torah scroll is broken up in this way. So going back to my original statement, V'yatse is one long, unbroken paragraph. What you see on the screen is not from V'yatse. It's from Leviticus. So if you have a Torah scroll, and you begin at the beginning of Vayetze, you will find no paragraph breaks, closed or open, anywhere until you get to the end of the entire Torah portion. Now this happens only two places in the entire Torah. One is here in Vayetze, the other is also in Genesis, it's in the Torah portion Miketz, and Miketz is about when Pharaoh has a dream and uh, Joseph is then called up and interprets the dream for Joseph, for Pharaoh. And you know the story, how he's elevated to a place of leadership. And, and then later his brothers during the famine come from from uh, Canaan down to get food from Egypt. You might wonder, well, why are these two Torah portions without paragraph breaks? I don't know. But it is interesting that both Torah portions begin with a dream, and both Torah portions end with a journey. So there's probably more to it than that, and and maybe you can figure it out, and then you can let me know what you discover. Well, let's continue on. Let's go on down to Genesis chapter 28 and verse 12. It says, and he, referring to Jacob, dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, the phrase on it is one word in Hebrew, and it is the word "bo," Beit vav. But since this word is masculine, it can also mean on him. So the angels of God were ascending and descending on Him. This ladder is a hymn. That's an interesting take on this ladder. But we find it reinforced when we come to John's Gospel. In John 1.51, Yeshua is speaking to Nathanael and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man the Son of Man being Yeshua himself, the Messiah. So it's interesting to me to see this prefigured all the way back in Genesis when that sentence can be translated, the angels are ascending and descending on him because the latter itself is a picture of our Messiah. There's much more to be said about this, but I just want to point out this little bit of a, a partial seasoning to you. Now, let's go on to chapter 29 and verse 10. This is where Jacob fleeing Esau has gone back to his mother's homeland and and the house of Laban, his mother's brother. And he he goes to seek a wife and he goes to the well and and, uh, this is where he meets his future bride, Rachel. It says, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. That phrase, once again, and he watered, is only one word. Hebrew is a very compressed language. And the word is Vayishach. Vayishach. It comes from a, a Hebrew word uh, root, which is shakah, which means to water. But we find this exact same word again in the next verse. In fact, we find this word spelled this way, Vav yud shin Kof, uh, we find it 13 times in the Bible. And uh, eight of those times it is translated, not he watered, but and he kissed. Yep, that word can mean to water, like watering sheep, or to kiss, like Jacob is about to kiss Rachel in the next verse. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, vayishak. He Vayishached Rachel and wept aloud. Now this is a beautiful scene from the Torah, but a, a very soggy one. So we see watering sheep and kissing Rachel and weeping, and there's a lot of watering going on. But uh, the root for the word to kiss is the word nashak. To uh, to water is shaka and to kiss is nashak. But when you put it in the phrase and he watered or and he kissed, it comes out the same word vayishak. Now, is there something God's trying to teach here? I think every day, detail every jot and tittle of the hebrew is god expressing something teaching something and i think there's something here for us to learn when jacob watered the sheep you see him doing a, a generous deed it's something similar to what his mother rebecca did for the camels that abraham sent with Elazar to find a bride for isaac And now here we see the man doing the watering for the sake of the woman. And so there's this kind deed. But then the next verse, he takes Rachel and he kisses her. You talk about love at first sight. This is definitely a case. In fact, this is the only place in the entire Bible where you see a man kissing a woman. Um, Now, kisses are referred to, but to actually see the action, to see it described here. Um, We see a man kissing a man, like Judas kissing Yeshua, or Jacob and Esau later in our story kissing one another. But for a man to kiss a woman, uh, who is not his wife especially, this is the only place. So what is going on here? Well, I think that whenever we do a kind and generous deed for someone, and we do it with affection, it's almost like giving them a kiss. However, I mentioned the kiss that Judas gave Yeshua. There was no affection in that. It was a kiss, but it lacked any kindness, and it was an evil deed that he did. On the other hand, I think we can give good deeds without any affection. We can do, do a good deed not because we want to truly show affection for the person we're serving, but because we want to be seen serving to get praise for ourselves. So we can do a good deed without real any real love or affection, without any real kiss. On the other hand, we can give a kiss without any works behind it, without any investment in a person's life. But when we do a good deed, because we truly love the one we're serving, whether it's a friend or even an enemy, if we do that good deed with a heart of love and affection for that person, then it's vayishak, and he watered and he kissed. So I think the lesson for us here is let's not make outward signs of affection if there's no real deeds behind it, if there's not any real sacrifice of strength, time, or possessions. On the other hand, let's not make a display of our good deeds when there's no affection or love involved. But let's let them be together always. Now we continue on down and we come to chapter 30. And this is when finally Rachel has a child. You know the story how um, Laban wickedly swapped brides on the wedding night. And when Jacob thought he was spending his honeymoon with Rachel, he wakes up in the morning and it's her sister Leah. Can you imagine how angry you'd be if that happened to you? But he goes ahead and since he's married to Leah... Uh, He he turns out, in the long run, having six children by Leah. And uh, then he has a couple through Rachel's handmaid, then a couple through Leah's handmaid. But finally, finally, his 11th son, Joseph, is born to Rachel, his first love. And then this is what she says in verses 23 and 24. She conceived Nabora's son and said, God has taken away Asaf is the word there. It's a root word. Asaf, has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Yosef, saying, may God, uh, may Adonai Yasaf, add to me another son. Whoops. So we see here that this is the same root that is used in all three occasions. God has taken away. She called his name Joseph. May Adonai add. How can the same root be used to take away and to add? Well, it's because to take away and to add are not really good translations of this root. The word asaf really means to gather. Uh, When there's a harvest and they gather the grain together, it comes from this same root. So we could translate the verse this way. God has gathered away my reproach. So she called his name gathering, saying, May Adonai gather to me another son. Now, when we look at it in this way, the words make sense. So we see that the same root here and and here taken away or gathered away. The root is asaf, Aleph, Samik, And she called his name Yosef, which is Yud, Vav, Samik, May Adonai Ad, Yosef, Yud Samek Pei. So you can see the, 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 the root word appearing in all three of these. I find it interesting that Joseph's name was given as a form of a prayer. She called him Joseph because her prayer was, May God gather to me another son. So in Joseph's name, there's a prayer for a brother, and sure enough, Benjamin, ben son of the right hand, was later born to her. Now, there's no individual in the entire Torah that more closely parallels the life of Yeshua than does Joseph. In fact, in uh, the teachings I've done in the past on the Beth website, I've listed uh, 75 or 80 or more parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of Yeshua. There simply is no one else whose life in more details portrays and uh, parallels that of our Messiah. It's an, an amazing thing. And it's interesting that in Joseph's name, there is the prayer that others would be gathered together. And then Yeshua is named Yeshua. His name means salvation because in Matthew 1, the angel tells Joseph that his name will be Yeshua because he will yeshea his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So even Yeshua's name is given because in it, there's a hope and a prayer for others. Now, Joseph is the only name of all the tribes that contains the letter Samik. That's the middle letter here of Asaf. It's an enclosed letter, it, there are no gaps in it. There are only two letters that have this distinction. It's Samik and the final Mem. When Mem is located at the end of a word, it becomes an enclosed loop. But the letter Samik means support. It is a word in its own. And whenever you see the word support, uh, he, in, in the Psalms it talks about how he supports those who are bent down. Uh, more times than not it's going to be the word samak, which means to hold up, to, to strengthen and to lift up. And as you go through the story of Joseph, you'll see that he is the one who supported his brothers. When famine hit, They came to Joseph, and he supported them. In fact, when you read the story of Joseph, you could say that he was the savior of the world because this was a worldwide famine. And people from all the surrounding countries around Egypt came to Egypt for food, and through Joseph, their lives were supported. And likewise, through Yeshua, we find in him our strength and our strong one and our support. Well, one more insight I want to share with you is in chapter 31 and verse 20. And this is just a figure of speech that uh, I've never seen translated literally in an English translation. There's probably one out there somewhere that does. I want to point it out to you because in the literal translation, there's a a rich insight. It's when um, Jacob is preparing to leave or has left Laban, and Laban finds out about it, and he's very upset. And it says in chapter 31, verse 20, and Jacob deceived Laban, their man, by not telling him that he was fleeing. Now, here we have an unusual example where we have one English word that is translated by um, uh, a couple or three Hebrew words. Here's the phrase, Va'yignov. Yaakov, there's Jacob's name, et, and this points to the direct object. And who did Jacob of? He gonnev the lev. There's the word lev, which means heart of Laban. What it literally means, and he stole, Jacob did, the heart of Laban. And then later in verse 26, Laban asked Jacob, why did you ganav my lev? Why did you steal my heart? And our translators just say, why did you deceive me? Or why did you lie to me? But I find it interesting how the Hebrew expresses the word to deceive, stealing the heart. And think about that for a moment. Did someone ever say something to you, make you a promise, and you believe them? But it turns out it was a lie, and you felt like a part of your heart had been taken? Well, it had, because you had invested your heart in the truth of the words that you heard. And when those words turned out to be false, you lost a bit of yourself, you lost some of your heart. We need to be very careful that when we promise something, we fulfill it. Let our yes be yes and our no be no when we tell someone we're gonna do something, follow through and do it. Because stealing is a, a terrible violation. And it's a terrible sin. But when you lie to someone, when you do not fulfill a promise, you become a thief. Not a thief of physical property, but you're stealing the hearts of others. So let's be careful that we never do that. So I hope this short teaching uh, just bringing a few insights, some seasonings from this tour portion. This has been a blessing to you. And uh, you may want to go back and re-listen to some things. I'm, I stumbled around a bit here. I don't know why, but I've been out of the saddle for a little over a week with a bad cold, so I'm just getting back into uh, back into the swing of things. So anyways, I hope this has been a blessing to you. And until next time, I wish you Shalom and may God bless. Amen.